but I could write a novel, a really funny novel. This is a great springboard. I'm going to write this story of, you know, two groups of women in a small town, horny divorcees, long married wives, and they come together and they create an underground barter economy whereby the wives subcontract the horny divorcees to have sex with their husbands so they don't have to as often. And it's funny and it's women, you know, it's seven characters in their 40s and they're all sexy and viable and it's their relationships. It's about friendships and women and how women tell, women who get divorced tell their married, their old married friends different kinds of stories than they tell their new divorced friends. The, the divorcees are doing all this crazy stuff that they don't necessarily want to share. Tori Chickering O'Connell was born in New Jersey to parents that cultivated a loving, safe, creative home environment where comedy, music and dance were a central part of the daily furniture of growing up. There is no question that this nurturing environment set her on a path to a creative career of being a journalist, producer, documentary filmmaker, comedy writer and published author of two books, Nookie Town and Trusted Family Values. In this vibrant two-parter, we cover Tori's upbringing and the influence of her parents and how they instilled the importance of having fun and not giving a damn. Tori discusses gratitude, having a why-not-me attitude, and how, in her early career, this attitude landed her a job at MTV as she applied her creativity and embraced life's uncertainty and ambiguity with gusto. Tori reflects on applying this attitude in the time of COVID-19, and we discuss how new models are emerging in comedy, music, and the arts during lockdown. We cover her extraordinary experience of making a documentary with some of today's most lauded comedians 20 years ago before they were famous. And we dive deep into how the serendipitous personal experience of becoming a divorcee in New Jersey led to the idea for her first novel, Nookie Town. She also covers the inspiration for her second book, Twisted Family Values, and reveals the idea for her third upcoming novel. I hope you enjoy the fun, frivolity and freedom of not giving a damn with Tori Chickering O'Connell. You are obviously a fascinating sort of journey, but you finally, after all these other twists and turns in your creative artistic journey, became a novelist, writing your first book, Nookie Town, published by St. Martin's Press, and also followed by the book that's behind you um, on your, uh, the two that are behind you, with oh, Twisted, yes. Twisted Family Values. Here. Serendipity also, yeah, there it is, that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Serendipity also kicked in in that in that event to getting that published with St Martin's Press. Perhaps you could just tell us uh, a little bit about Nookie Town, which I have to say I've been listening to it on Audible, and I'm on chapter thirty-one, so I haven't reached the climactic ending yet. So I wanted to finish it before <laughs> before this interview, but couldn't quite get through it yesterday. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing it today. Is it making you laugh? Have you been giggling? Yes. I. Worked in television for 10 years, and then I happily left uh, the working world to have a child. I was quite old. I was 35 when I had my son. It had taken a long time to have him. And so by the time I finally got pregnant, I was really stoked to be a stay-at-home mom. Very excited about it. And and I loved it. It was really, really fun. So I, I left that the world of television after 10 years. Um, beginning in MTV, and I had ended up 
uh, freelancing at Comedy Central, Lifetime at PBS and all around. So I'm now a stay-at-home mom. And then 10 years or seven, I guess seven years in, I realized this marriage is untenable. So I asked my husband to move out. And then after 10 years, we were legally divorced. So it was a 10 year, legal 10 year marriage. And then the, and then it's, you plunge into the depths when one thinks that you know how your life is going to unfold and it doesn't. And then you realize that you've made a series of terrible choices. It's devastating. So one of the things, one of the byproducts was not being able to have a second child. I really wanted to have a sibling for my son and a second child for myself. And I tried and tried for three years. I was on that infertility train, which is like a locomotive and it's not pretty. And uh, it didn't work. Nothing I tried worked. IVF, in vitro, Clomid, Chinese herbs, acupuncture. I mean, you name it. So we were on the road to adoption. And that's when I realized that my marriage was, I couldn't lie to the prospective parent that would be handing over their child to me and say, you're placing your child in a really happy, healthy home because the marriage was not happy or healthy. So I had to, I chose to end the marriage and I, in doing so, I also chose to give up the dream of this second child because I didn't, I thought it would be negligent to continue, you know, getting divorced. is like a, a part-time job. It's, there's a lot, it's, uh, it really is like a part-time job. It's a huge time suck and it's an emotional and psychic suck. So by the time I got on my feet again, I felt so much time had passed that I couldn't pick up the adoption. I would effect, in effect have two single children. Like the, the age span would be so vast at this point that this notion of siblings wouldn't, it would no longer be um, in effect because the, there would be sort of eight or 10 years between them. So I thought, well, shoot, all that um, creative nurturing that had gone into parenting, which I loved doing, and my child was at home. Uh, my sorry, my child was at camp, and I wasn't parenting the siblings. So, and I was. I had gone to teacher uh, teacher training, got a master's in teaching K through six elementary ed, and I was off for the summer. And so I had written. I had written screenplays, and I'd written personal essays, and I'd been done interviews, and I'd had a newspaper column. The one thing, and I'd written songs, and the one thing I'd never tried was a novel. So I thought, I'm going to write a, I'll write a novel this summer. That's what I'll do while my son's at camp. And one of the conversations that had, that I had over and over, it wasn't just one ladies' lunch, it was multiple ladies' lunches, was sitting down with a group of married women who've been married to the same person for a long time. and. When you are now the new sole divorcee in a group of women who are still married to their original husbands, you know, the conversation, the sort of the catch up is goes, it's very, is, is very much a formula. So we go around the circle. How is everybody doing? Well, my, my husband's got knee surgery. My son's in a lacrosse tournament. We're redoing the basement. My dog's at the vet. And then we get to me 
And I would say, things are working out. I'm finding a new rhythm now that I'm fully divorced. My son's doing great. I'm doing great. I'm finding I'm just distractedly horny (laughs) and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't want to just be out there in the world because there are all these STDs and the, and I don't even want a relationship. I definitely don't want to get remarried anytime soon, but it's just, it's just this, this almost chemical surge I'm having and it's incredibly distracting and everybody would laugh and somebody would say, you should have sex with my husband. That would be awesome. That would be so great because he's on me all the time and I have no interest and you just want sex, but you don't want anything else. Will you have sex with my husband? And then everybody would laugh and then somebody else would go, oh my God, that's a great idea. Would you have Mark, would you have sex with Mark too? And I'd say, yeah, I'll take Steve every other Friday and I'll have Mark every third Wednesday. (laughs) And everybody was like, God, that would be great. I said, yeah, it would work for me. And they were like, and it would be great for them too. So we just, we, and, and they, everybody got a big laugh and it was just a joke. And of course nobody acted on it. But what I noticed was that I, every time I said that phrase, it that setup, stimulated that reaction, the same yeah. punchline, the same reaction, I would say, I just wish I could just have sex. And someone would say, please have sex with my husband. It would be awesome. So when did this tweak and go, oh, this is the, this is the novel? Because it happened so many times. It happened with white women, with black women, with upper middle class, with church ladies. It happened with like women in the suburbs, women in the city, like all different kind groups of women had the same reaction. Please have sex with my husband. That would be awesome. And so we laughed and laughed. And I thought, well, obviously I'm not going to do that, but I could write a novel, a really funny novel. This is a great springboard. And I, and I, my son's at camp for the summer and I don't have any other children to take care of and I'm not in class. And so I'm going to write a novel and it's going to be this story. I'm going to write this story of you know, two groups of women in a small town, horny divorcees, long married wives, and they come together and they create an underground barter economy whereby the wives subcontract the horny divorcees to have sex with their husbands so they don't have to as often. And it's funny and it's women, you know, it's seven characters in their 40s and they're all sexy and viable and it's their relationships. It's about friendships and women and how women tell, women who get divorced tell their married, their old married friends different kinds of stories than they tell their new divorced friends. The the divorcees are doing all this crazy stuff that they don't necessarily want to share with their married friends. I mean, I would think that, I assume that most of the people who read it are women, but I have to say that the dialogue is so sharp and it, and it is, it's genuinely funny. But I, one of the few books I've read and laughed out loud, I was cycling yesterday with my headphones on, chuckling to your, <laughs> to your narrative. Great. And then I went down, I went for a That's run great. and I was down on um, Domino Park and listening to it there as well with a uh, smile on my face while I'm exercising. Because you, what also, what also made me laugh was how you cleverly interweaving of your real life band Tori Hurst, Tori Hurst. I couldn't, I couldn't help laughing at that and going, oh, that's brilliant. And then the, the story of- It was shameless, the, the, shameless uh, self-promotion. 
Yeah, and at the point at which I'm not sure where that relationship's going between, is it the bassist that? Yes. Yeah, the bassist. I can't remember his name. Topher. Christopher is is short for Christopher. Oh, I couldn't work out. Right, Topher. Okay then, yeah. Okay, so I'm waiting to see where that plays out. What happens? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's brilliant. And it's got to be, that's another one. I mean, forget about the documentary for now. You've, this has got to be a, a movie at some point. Because it would be, I think it would be a really fun movie, a, a TV show, because there's so many characters. I think it could do exactly. 100, yeah. 100 episodes easily because it's seven women and their exes and their husbands and their children and their mothers and their mothers-in-law and then the other townspeople. So I think that it really has legs to and go can you on imagine, and on. Imagine the casting of it. Oh, the casting could be so much fun. All these actresses in their 40s. I mean, think about I know. how many 50s. All these women, mm-hmm. these fabulously sexually viable and funny women. Would- I mean, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for seven Hollywood actresses in their 40s and 50s. Directed, by, directed by a woman. Directed by a woman who's funny. And so, you know, it would be marvelous to get it to Reese or to get it to... You know, there's so many awesome, awesome women who we could all see in it. I mean, you know, when you think about Jennifer Aniston, you know, there, there's all the Friends babes, uh, and then there's the Tina Fey, Amy Poehler crew, yeah. and then there's Salma Hayek and Sofia Vergara, and you know, Mary Louise Parker and Minnie Driver. I mean, there's so many. So where have you got? Where have you got to with this? So uh, there was a Hollywood bidding war between um, Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, and oh, Jada Pinkett Smith's uh, production company. And then Warner Brothers won the bid because they were the the entity that was willing to put in a contract that I could be a writer on the show, that I could be one of the writers, which is what, you know, I would want to be in the room. You have to be, yeah. Well, but they they don't want that necessarily. But that's what I wanted. So I had some leverage, and um, but then they didn't uh, exercise the option. So they had it for a year, but it always reverts back to the author, which is great news. So the uh, the the it's still out there and it's still available, and it would still make a, an awesome TV series. Or yeah, movie. it's totally timeless. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm conscious of time, and we want to just so just quickly give us. Uh, the serendipity of St. Martin's Press, picking it up. Oh, right. So tell here's us, the serendipity. T- okay. Tell us about the second book and tell us about the one you've got in this, in this planned. In the shoot. All right. So the serendipity is that I wrote this. I used the NaNoWriMo 30 days. First one, you know, rough draft in 30 days. So I wrote 1,700 words a day for 30 days in a row and had a 50,000 word rough draft, but the story wasn't finished. So then I wrote another... 50,000 words. So between July and December, I had a 100,000 word rough draft of my novel. And I told my girlfriend, Rebecca, about it, the story. She thought it was hilarious. She might've even read an early draft. So then I'm writing, I'm revising, revising, and I've got an agent. And that was also a combination of serendipity and gumption because a girlfriend invited me to a book reading. And I walked up to the author and I said, I'm a writer and I need an agent. How did you get your agent? And she said, oh, you should phone my agent. And so because my girlfriend invited me to the reading, Betsy invited me to the reading and I talked to Laura, I got my agent, Beth. So that's a combination of serendipity and 
stick to, and, and advocating for myself. So Hurricane Sandy hits, everybody loses power, nine days without power, but not, well, I shouldn't say everybody, most people in our town lose power, but some, some people do not. So Rebecca loses power. She and her husband go to Starbucks to see if they can plug in and juice up their computers. They can't. All the outlets are completely taken. But as they're leaving, they bump into another couple and Brendan and his wife are leaving Starbucks. And they only know Brendan through a Halloween party, a yearly costume Halloween party. So they say, hello, they recognize each other. What are you doing? Rebecca says, we were trying to juice our computers, but we couldn't. And Brendan says, we have power. Why don't you come to our house and use our power? You can work on our dining room table, bring your laptops. They say, that's fantastic. So generous. So they go to Brendan's house and Rebecca says to Brendan, what do you do for a living? And Brendan says, I work for Macmillan Publishing. My job is to turn books into movies. And my girlfriend, Rebecca says, my girlfriend, Tori, is writing a book and it's so funny. It would make a great movie. You should read her book. So because of Hurricane Sandy and losing power and needing juice and Rebecca, the generosity of Rebecca to say to Brendan, I have a a girlfriend who's writing a really funny book. He then reached out to me at the Halloween party, which was a couple of weeks later. We were in costume and he said, I heard you about gorilla. your book. Yeah, I was not a gorilla. I was a bumblebee because <laughs> the, 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 theory, the theme was come as a song. So I came as Flight of the Bumblebee. So I was um, dressed as a bumblebee. He was Superman. He was the R.E.M. song, Superman. And he said, uh, Rebecca told me about your book. I'd love to read it. And I said, what you? And he said, yeah. I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm, I'm an agent. I work at a publishing house. I said, you do? So he read it and, uh, and that was the beginning. And then he pitched it to his girlfriend, his colleague, I should say, Eileen. And then she pitched it to her boss. And then they gave me a two book deal. Brilliant. Because of working Sandy. And, and then the second book, Twisted Family Values. So then the second book, Twisted Family Values, um, it was a two book deal. And they said, well, what else you got? And I said, well, I sort of love this, this world of taboo meets humor, you know, racy, but funny and, and taboo. And I love this. I wanted to write something a little bit different insofar as taking on more time. So Twisted Family Values is, is uh, 50 years. It's, it's four generations and 50 years. It starts in 1968. It's a family in the suburbs. And, um, you know, they think they've got it all going on. It's a, they, they have an entitled sort of privilege in a small upper, upper middle-class community. And then we get to follow this family over the course of, uh, four generations, 50 years, we get to know the, the adult sisters. So Kat and Claire, and then they have children and the, the children are first cousins and so we get to know this, the relationship between two of the first cousins, Charlie and the, oh shoot, I'm busy, sorry, busy and Chu, Charlie and Elizabeth, and they are very close. They're best friends. They're raised next door to each other's best friends. And so we follow this relationship from when busy and Chu are in 
a crib, basically the first scene, their toddlers taking a nap and their sisters. And then it ends when Busy and Two are 50 years old. And it's really the story about expectations, especially social expectations and what people, the choices, again, sort of circling back to where we started and the choices people make in life that are not organic to what is really best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's from, again, the older, the older we are and the more we experience, um, one of the things that you'll notice in, in middle age is you'll see families imploding all around you. All these secrets bubble to the surface. Folks are not happy in their marriages. They married the right person for the wrong reason, the wrong person for the right reason. They took a job, a career path that they should not have taken. There might be health issues, their run-ins with the law, then you've got mental and emotional breakdowns and challenges, addiction, right? Addiction starts to bubble to the surface. So all these families that kind of try to hold it together, they can't and they just can't any longer. So what I've really appreciated is watching the grace and tact and sometimes crassness with which families have dealt with very public implosions and how we forgive each other. So at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's about, it's about inappropriate romance. It's funny. And at the end of the day, it's about forgiveness. How do we forgive the people that we love for being imperfect and for making terrible choices? And how do we continue being a family? You know, even when folks are taking the wrong path. So it's fun. I look forward to reading that one next. Yeah, it's great. So what's your, what's the next? Oh, the next one. The next one is, uh, I'm working on something called Wendy Wanderlust and it's a a historical romance set in 1988. It's about two girlfriends who go backpacking in Europe for the summer in the late eighties, prior to cell phones, prior to the internet. And they stay in hostels and they get, tangled up in swarthy European men and have inappropriate sex in public parks and a lot of laughs and uh, it's fun. And it's very musical. The, one of the characters, um, Wendy, is a, she writes songs. She gets her backpack stolen very early on, and so, but she keeps her ukulele. So she has to busk in order to make money to, uh, to stay in the hostels and feed herself, but she's also trying to find Trish who took off with this hot Belgian guy on the back of his scooter motorbike. So she's got to find Trish and she's got to survive. And she writes these funny little songs, you know, flight of the Concords. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. The New Zealand. Her stuff is like, her stuff is like that, which is a lot like my stuff. So, um, and then she meets a guy named Ian and he's very attractive and he's sort of a cranky composer, but they fall in love. So it's a, it's a sweet, it's charming. It'll be funny. It'll be adventurous. And, uh, and full of interesting musical references, a lot of musical references and it'll just be sweet. It'll be sweet and fun. Nothing too, nothing too challenging or upsetting. Yeah. So before we get to our quick four questions, you started, I mean, I mean, the, the, going, going back to what I said earlier about your, how your life has followed its course, that you've embraced the ambiguity and the uncertainty. You also defy conventions, as you said, not caring what people think, not giving a damn. 
you started a band at 45 that I mentioned that, you said that, that, that appear in your first novel called Tori Erswile and the Montes. Great, great name. Is Montes anything to do with Monty Python by any chance? It's not. Uh, my a friend, Monty Smith, was the original musician. Uh, right, it was okay. just he and I when we started. So we decided everybody else we bring into the band, we just call them Monty. Okay. So what drove you and made you suddenly say, I'm going to start a band at age 45? I was invited to perform a personal essay. So for years, for many, many years, I've been asked, very flattering to be asked time and time again to read funny personal essays uh, aloud for various audiences and various scenarios. And so I had been asked to participate in something called Funny Women, Funny Women, an evening of women reading funny essays. And everybody got, I think it was six minutes or 10 minutes and so I had been doing this for years and I had plenty that I could have read, but I wanted to challenge myself. And so I said to the guy putting the evening together, you know, could I, could I do songs? Could I do two or three songs instead of, could I use my 10 minutes to write three original funny songs? Do that instead. He was like, sure. So I wrote three songs that I thought were funny. And I, then I had to put a call out. Who knows a musician? Does anybody know anyone? I need a guitar player or a piano player. And somebody recommended this guy, Monty, who's a gorgeous bluegrass picker with a great sense of humor, very dry, very funny. And so we met a couple of times and I taught him my songs and he wrote up the chords and did a beautiful backing. And so we were in the show. And I sang these three songs and people just hollered and laughed and clapped and hooted. And at the end of the night, you know, I got enough positive feedback that I said to Monty, you know, I could write more songs. I could write a hundred more songs. Do you want to keep doing this? And he said, sure. So we formed a band and I brought in a piano player and an upright bass player and a drummer. And I just kept writing songs and I would procrastinate working on my novel by writing songs. And then I would procrastinate writing the songs by working on my novel. So it's doing both. Okay. You just answered two questions in one there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to get quick for questions. What principles do you stand by? Oh, right. I think the, the two couple of biggest ones for me are uh, have fun, obviously. Are you having fun? Uh, accountability is huge for me. Uh, I've learned that late, later in life. To yourself? Everybody. I just, I want people to be accountable for the choices they make and recognize that, that they got into that situation because of choices they made. So I'm trying to teach my son accountability. I hear when the way people construct sentences when they're not being accountable, my, my ears prick up when people aren't saying this is happening because of, because I let it happen. So accountability is a big one. Having fun. Um, risk, personal and social risk, like stop giving a damn. Just stop. Stop giving a damn. It's a choice to not give a damn. So I think that's uh, definitely something I live by as well. Oh, and there's a great little phrase. Um, what other people think about you is none of your business. I love that. It's a good yeah, one. That's really good. Okay. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time, but turned out to be the right decision? Well, asking my husband to leave was definitely the right decision. It was very hard 
really brutal, absolutely brutal, but was ultimately 100% the correct decision. And then I was going to say giving up, adopting a second child will always plague me. It was a very tough decision, but I'm not, I'll never be sure if it was the right decision. Okay. Um, That's very honest. Where do you go to discover new ideas? I think um, traveling is a big one. Just getting out in the world is huge. Uh, Museums. I love, love museums. I love music, going to clubs, going to plays, movies, reading, obviously. Instagram has really opened me up to designers. I follow comedians. I follow designers. I follow all the major museums in the world. I follow tattoo artists. I follow blacksmiths. Uh, I follow all kinds of people. So Instagram has been great for that. Mm, It is. Um, What's one problem worth solving? Well, I think global warming. uh, If we don't solve global warming, we won't be around to wonder what problems are worth solving. Yeah, what the next pandemic is. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a biggie. If you could return to one night, uh, one day in history, where, where, uh, when, and with to see who? Um, you know, I spent some time coming up with answers to these because you were gracious enough to, to give them to me ahead of time. And that's one that I said I was going to return to, and I never did because I was really stumped. Mm. But I think just now, as we're speaking, as we're talking, I really miss dancing with my father. He was a great dancer. And I have yet to really be twirled around the dance floor in such a way. And so I think what I would return to is anybody's wedding reception with a great band. Yeah. And just to be dancing with my dad again. I think that's where I would go back. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. What's a question that no one asks you that you wish they would? I would like someone to say, uh, can we turn your book into a television show? And would you like to write in the writer's room on staff with a television show based on your book? And I would say yes. Good. Well, hopefully that question's coming up quite soon. I would do that. Yeah. All right. You maybe touched on this in terms of uh, what the other question, but where do you go when you need space to think other than, tra- other, other than traveling? Uh, the car and the shower. Sitting in the car, when I pull in the driveway, I sit in my car for another anywhere from two to 20 minutes. And I just, it's like this wonderful interim space and time. Same with the shower. The shower, shower is a, it's an interim time between the thing you were just doing and the thing you're about to do. And it's just this great meditative space where all these ideas come up, solutions to problems and a book and a story I'm trying to work out. You know, they just kind of bubble up at these times. Okay. Who's made you reevaluate yourself? My therapist and my acupuncturist. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. The greatest nugget I've gotten from my therapist is I'll tell her a little story and I'll tell her what somebody said or did. And she'll say, that's information. And what she means by that is, 
that's information. What are you going to do with it? That person in your life just did something or said something. So what are you going to do with that information? And that's, that's been really valuable insofar as reevaluating relationships and my responses and, and uh, to situations that unfold. So I think of that now. I say, that's information. What am I going to do? Again, accountability. Like, what am I going to do with that information? That person just did or said that thing. Now the onus is on me. I am accountable for how I respond. What do I do with that information? So I thought that was great. And the other one, my acupuncturist is marvelous. And he says, uh, everyone's a teacher. Everyone's a teacher. Everyone can teach you something. The onus is on us to figure out what we can learn. What can we learn? What can be learned? And then the other one is every moment is perfect, which is a really tricky one <laughs> yeah. for these times. True. Really tricky. Some great wisdom there. Yeah. The impossible question. What would your advice be to someone who's about to graduate, uh, go to study, that might have a dream, a goal, a grand ambition, but it's been told, forget it. It's impossible. Uh, I think I'd just go back to this, what we talked about in the beginning, which is just go for it. Try it. You can always go home. You can always go home. You can always start over. There are more jobs. There are more boyfriends. There are more places to live. There are more apartments. Just give it a shot. Give it a go. Go for it. Try it. Risk it. Risk it all. Try it. And the worst thing, the absolute worst thing that can happen is that you fail and then you just have to start over. It's not that big a deal. All part of the journey. Yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? (laughs) (laughs) Now, maybe we've got uh, the Tori Airswell. Yeah. I have Roxanne, which I'm which is right in my, I'm sort of an alto. So that's, uh-huh. I can get all the notes in Roxanne. And, and I love the crescendo at the end. And I love jumping up and down and whipping my hair around. And then the other one is uh, You Shook Me. It's a good one. Who's, uh... um, you Shook Me All Night Long. Oh, a rainbow. Was it rainbow or? Uh, uh... No, it's, is it ACDC? Who's, who sings, who's yeah, that song? ACDC. ACDC. Yeah, ACDC. Okay, right. <laughs> Thank you, Bettina. Yeah. Thanks, Bettina. <laughs> right. So those are both great sing-along. Like I love getting the whole room singing at the top of their lungs. So both Roxanne and You Shook Me, everybody knows all the words to those. So that's really fun. What uh, is the best recent Netflix or Amazon Apple series that you've seen? Do you know I just finished Sex Education, which I loved. Have you seen it, Bettina? I have seen two episodes. It's cute. It's great. It's really, it's smart. It's well-written. It's beautifully cast. It's beautifully acted. It's incredibly... The actress, she's she's phenomenal, right? Yeah. They're all really good. And and it's really smart. And it's very daring. Um, In the same way Fleabag was daring. Like this show is, I think, really daring. And uh, I love the art direction. I love the music design. I mean, there's just a lot about it that I'm really digging. Okay, lots of questions. Uh, what book would you like us to offer three listeners that submit the best comments in the comment section, other, obviously, than your own? Other than my own. Oh, gosh, I was going to say my own. What book other than my own? Oh, uh, shoot, I hadn't thought of this. 
I hadn't thought this out because I was just going to say my own. Okay. We'll do that then. Okay. Okay. Last question. Who should we interview next? Oh, so I, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, I have so many good ideas. I have so many good ideas for you and only you would know what kind of person would fit. But, uh, you know, you were asking earlier about where do you go to discover, to discover new ideas? And one of the things I left out was, um, listening to people's stories. Mm-hmm. I love listening to people's stories. One of the things I know you, you talk about a lot is curiosity yeah. and where that comes from. And I love, I'm fascinated, whoever I sit down next to, I know there's going to be, if I'm listening, if I listen, hang in there long enough, something really great is going to come out about an experience they had, some trial that they had to overcome, something unexpected that you would never think by looking at the person and sizing them up by just what you see. So the folks that came to mind, a girlfriend of mine named Wendy Shanker, who's a writer, she writes for awards shows. She's had an incredible life experience and she's had some extraordinary hurdles to get over. And she's really funny and has a great attitude. So she was one of the people I thought of. Uh, Kay McClellan is uh, an emergency room nurse who runs the overnight shift at my local hospital. And we met walking our dogs. And she, you know, in the morning, we would end up at the dog park. She was just getting off work and I was just starting my day. And we became friendly. And she has an incredible story. And she's got a uh, photographic memory. So she remembers everything she's ever learned. That's amazing. And every number, every social security number anybody's ever given her birth date. And she's, so she's got a fascinating brain and she's right now on the front lines working at the hospital. So she's pretty amazing. She's a pretty amazing person. And then I have another girlfriend named Kim who runs a hair salon. And that's an, I mean, the hair salons are Mm. pillars of the community. Yeah. The woman that, that owns and operates a hair salon, she is everything to all people. I mean, she is, she is confidence. She's a, she's an ear. She's a listener. She's bolstering confidence. She's, she's keeping confidences. So, and she's a really smart, really interesting, funny woman. And then uh, I have a writer friend and I have a, a gentleman friend named Moss Friedman, who's an artist and he's, makes the most incredible paintings and he's really wacky. So I don't know what kind of person well, you're looking for. Well, well, Bettina usually follows up and we'll follow up and then we'll agree, um, make introductions um, by email and then we take yeah. it from there. Okay. But it's usually, it's, a, it's, all, it's always, we end up with the people we end up with and it's serendipitous. So we don't question it. Yes. So yeah. you just trust well, in the process. I hope I gave you some good stuff to work with. Great stuff. Yeah. And we just we finish off with um, acknowledging you and thanking you. So there's a lot here. Um, we just uh, really have to thank you and acknowledge you for your well humor, obviously uh, <laughs> embracing uh, and living a life of fun. But I think that what's really interesting is the the thing that comes across is your eclectic interest in all things that you encounter and for going deep and 
and, a, and an enduring curiosity. And clearly your observational skill that's so apparent when you read your, well, from just the one book that I've got through, but everything that I've, where I've heard you interviewed, you've got this a, a, acute observational sk- skill um, which we acknowledge you for. And for the, your unconventional approach to life, embrace taking risks, whether we covered that enough, to do things that a lot of people wouldn't do at the age that they do, that you've done them at, and with a belief that that life is a continuous journey and doing so by with a, a an attitude of not giving a damn, mm-hmm. which is incredibly empowering and uh, that more people should embrace. So uh, thank you very much for your time. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.